I'm Jonathan Aberman. Coming up on today's show. And I would just say the last presidential administration, I think, did a a real disservice in terms of tearing down public service and demonizing public servants and, and, and folks that work for the government. And now with the Biden administration, we do have an issue we have to think through in terms of where folks work, how often they come in, do they come in. Welcome to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast. In this week's episode, as you know, I came back to start doing What's Work in Washington because I felt like the region was at a crossroads. And there's nothing that I've learned since I re-engaged that's led me to think that I'm incorrect. There's a lot of reason to be concerned about public safety. There's a lot of reason to be concerned about our commercial real estate. There's a lot of reason to be concerned about Metro. There's a lot of reason to be concerned about whether or not our entrepreneurial ecosystem is creating companies that are competitive. In a word, it's wake-up time in the greater Washington region. Well, I'm going to be bringing in guests to talk about these issues over the next few months. And our first guest to really start to unpack this is a fellow who's very well situated to tell us what's going on, but also, frankly, to help coordinate what the regional responses should be. And that's Clark Mercer. Clark is a longtime effective part of the government down in Richmond. He worked with Governor Northam as his chief of staff and had some other roles. He left that to come back. He's a local boy made good, and now he's the executive director of the Metropolitan Council of Governments. As he'll explain, this is a regional organization that has one job, and that job is to have the political entities of this highly complex tapestry work better together in areas like public safety, coordinating transportation, even something as simple as ride a bike to work day. So this is gonna be a fun interview, and here it is. Clark, how are you? I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to have you here. And, you know, maybe it says a lot about what geeks you and I are, that we're (laughs) actually excited to talk about economic development and the the council of governments, but we are excited. So, you know, you had a really interesting career that I'm sure we'll touch on over the next 25 minutes or so down in Richmond. You're actually a local boy and you've you've come back. You've been with COG now, council of government, for about a year. Tell me, what's it like? What do you do all day? Sure. Well, I grew up in the D.C. metro area in northern Virginia and was down in Richmond for the last 12 years. So I moved back and have been at the Council of Governments uh, for a year now. And we work with 24 of our local governments, so all of northern Virginia, uh, the District of Columbia and suburban Maryland. And when you think to yourself, you wish governments were coordinating better on a, on a certain issue, that's where COG uh, plays a role. We do a lot with public safety, bringing our police chiefs and firefighters together every month. We do a lot with transportation and transit, planning our roads, our roadways, our metro system for the region, clean air and clean water, Um, policies that don't uh, obey boundaries on a map where the region should really be be working together. Affordable housing uh, is an issue across the region, and we work with localities on what policies they have in place to increase our affordable housing stock. So a wide range of issues. We've got about 135 employees, and we're headquartered in, in the District of Columbia right by Union Station. Is it fair to say that your organization is the leading or the only organization that cuts across the region that brings the the political representatives together to talk about these issues? On the public side, uh, I would say we're the preeminent group that does that. I think there's some groups that do it in Maryland or there's groups in the district or Virginia, uh, but we're the one that brings the entire region together. And if, if those 24 localities were their own state, we'd be in the top 10 for the country in terms of GDP. 
and have one of the most educated populations in the country. So, you know, whether you go down to Richmond and, and advocate at the state house there or Annapolis, the region, we work to make sure we, we speak with one voice um, and that we're aligned with, uh, with our policies and viewpoints. It's fascinating to me. Um, I've been here since 1998. And as long as I've been here, there has been an ongoing conversation about how this region needs to think about itself as a region rather than three distinct uh, political jurisdictions. And, you know, I've got to tell you the truth. As long as I've been here, even though you did it very quickly, and this may reveal my own ignorance, I was not aware that there was actually an organization coordinating across the regions the things you just described. It's so when people criticize the region for not thinking regionally, are we failing to actually promote what you're doing enough? Well, I think the region is incredible. It's a dynamic region, one of the most well-educated in the whole country. And a lot of the, the, the things that COG does, we do them behind the scenes. So we have a group that helps with the Anacostia River cleanup, and it's got the cleanest water it's had in, in generations. We organize a bike-to-work day with other stakeholders in the biking community. We when you see those signs on the highway, it said, if you need a ride home, call this number. That's commuter connections. We we run that and help folks get from, from work to home. So a lot of what we do is behind the scenes, but we have a lot of smart policy folks that that focus on on doing the work. They don't necessarily focus on getting out and bragging about the work. And, and, and I'm proud that that's my job. That's why I'm here today to talk about that. Um, and look, this region, my family's been here for four generations. My grandfather's on both sides came to work in, in the D.C. area, one for Department of Agriculture, one at the Pentagon. This has been a region where if you want to uh, make a difference or work in a dynamic industry that has a heavy emphasis on public policy, you move to the D.C. region. For finance, you move to New York City, Silicon Valley for tech, Actings and Hollywood. There's other ecosystems certainly that have sprung up in those industries. But the D.C. region is a place where you move uh, to make a difference. And right now, when you look at that overlap, in the private sector with an emphasis on public policy. You look at monetary policy, artificial intelligence, energy, autonomous vehicles, obviously a staple of this area, defense policy. There's never been as great an overlap with what the private sector is doing and that intersection of public policy. So we need to think about this as an ecosystem and and sell us to the, the country and to the world as such. Because to your point, Jonathan, you folks aren't coming here because it's Montgomery County or Alexandria or Prince William or Prince George. They're coming here because it's the D.C. region, and we need to do a better job of coordinating that and telling our story. And I 100% agree with you. And over the years, I've done a number of economic development research projects for the state and uh, the federal government, and I'm working on some things now with Terry Claret at, at Mason. And one of the observations that I've made more than once is, is there is a particular flavor of entrepreneurship that is what I call DC entrepreneurship. And it's really, as you described, it's business people that take advantage of proximity to policy. And if you look at the success of an AOL, which is basically commercializing the internet or, or Sprint and the wireless companies, or, you know, frankly, the cybersecurity companies now and others to come, what they all have in common is proximity to federal government. And yet we don't market ourselves that way. It, it seems like, at least from the innovation standpoint, Clark, I, I find that even when we talk about ourselves as a region, it's almost apologetically. It's like, oh, we're not Silicon Valley. Instead of saying, you know, Silicon Valley exists because of DARPA <laughs> and right. DOD, it, it should be the other way around. And it, somehow it never is. Well, it's always, um, I remember you know, 15 years ago talking with folks in, in Tyson's Corner about how do we how do we sell these uh, secure cubicles here uh, along the Dulles Kohler. That's not as sexy as Silicon Valley, but certainly cybersecurity, 
You look at NIH and the biosciences, the patent and trade office, and the intellectual property firms. You know, I was involved in Richmond and in the effort a lot of folks were uh, in recruiting uh, Amazon, HQ2. And, and, and they are where they are for a, a few different reasons, but proximity to the district and being in this ecosystem is at the top of that list. And I think it has been easy to get complacent. I think Terry's numbers out of George Mason speak to this. Uh, we have had a, a good streak for a number of years in terms of economic growth, but it's competitive now. And we have other markets that are dynamic that are competing with us. And the world is shifting in terms of how people work and where they work. So when you have a transit system with a lot of traffic, which the D.C. area does, when you have housing costs that are uh, beyond reach for a lot of folks, people are looking to other markets. So I think we need to kind of return to those foundational elements of what attracts a company to this region, what would make them stay. You got to be safe. You got to feel safe and be safe, public safety. Mm -hmm. The reason why it's on that pyramid of needs, it's at the base. Yep. Uh, You got to be able to move around a region, afford a home. And you obviously, uh, underpinning all of this, you got to be attractive for investment by companies. So looking at your tax policy, looking at how business uh, friendly are. And we need to look at that as, as a region. I'm here with Clark Mercer. He's executive director of the Metropolitan Council of Governments here on What's Working in Washington. Clark, it's, I remember working with you and, and Governor Northam and the team around Amazon. And one of my roles there was to help you explain to them that we weren't a, a, a town of bureaucrats. You know, and I remember uh, how hard you all worked and the data we created to show them that there was a lot of innovation here and obviously succeeded. You talk about economic development. What's your what's your best advice on uh, on how we should be approaching getting businesses to locate here or, frankly, getting our entrepreneurs who are currently leaving to stay? You know, a couple. One, uh, you know, I've I've have a career in working in and for and around government and elected officials, and the first thing we need to do is do a good job listening to the entrepreneurs and the business community in terms of what do they need to be successful. Certainly, I've been doing a lot of listening this last year, and when you talk to businesses in this region, public safety comes comes up a lot, and and, and that's at the top of the list. Transit comes up. HQ two is where where it is because it's. Uh, on a, a, a metro line at a metro stop. Across for an airport. Uh, across walking distance. And, yes. and that, that was part of our incentive was to build a walking bridge across the GW Parkway. 70% of the incentives to HQ2 are actually investing in Virginia in this region, K-12, through higher ed, metro, and transit. So, you know, one, I think, is to do to do a good job listening. And two, you know, I, I, it's kind of cheesy, but I talk a little bit about the commanders. They're under new ownership, and they're taking care of the basics right now hiring a GM, hiring a coach, before you start talking about offense they're going to play. We need to kind of get back to some of those basics, public safety, transit, and housing, those three items right there. And then, of course, kind of how do we market this region? And I would just say with that, the last presidential administration, I think, did a a real disservice in terms of tearing down public service and demonizing public servants and, and, and folks that work for the government. And now with the Biden administration, we do have a uh, an issue we have to think through in terms of where folks work, how often they come in, do they come in, and what that looks like in a city, uh, D.C., that 30 to 40 percent of the real estate is owned or leased by the federal government. You've touched on something that's actually where I want to go next. After the break, we're here. What's working in Washington with Clark Mercer, Executive Director of Metropolitan Council of Governments. I- I'm, I'm concerned about real estate and all the vacancies. Let, let's talk about that when we come back.
love hearing from our listeners. You put us in touch with some of the best voices in the Washington, D.C. region. We've been hearing from you and speaking to the people you want to hear from. That's what What's Working in Washington is about. We talk to the power players about innovation in the federal government and how business in the region is keeping us competitive. But more and more, we talk about the hard questions and look for the real answers that will drive the region and our nation forward. If you know someone we should be talking to on our show, do let us know. We look to shine a spotlight on people who are really getting things done in the region. So please keep those ideas coming. And thanks to all of you who stay in touch with us. Mercer, the executive director of the Metropolitan Council of Governments. Before the break, Clark, I gave you some time to prepare. I'm hearing a lot of really ugly, I can't even get it out. It upsets me so much. Ugly statistics about uh, uh, real estate, commercial real estate. What's the council doing about it? And what, what are you expecting policymakers and all of us to do about it? Because we can't have these vacancy rates, commercial real estate, and have a vibrant city. Sure. Well, I think it's important when we start this conversation to recognize that COVID did open our eyes. Uh, to the fact that folks can uh, be remote and work from home more often than they have traditionally. That this idea that you're in five days a week and there's no flexibility in terms of when you pick up your kid from school or or go to a doctor's appointment. So we've got to show some grace and understanding that that's a a new understanding. That said, 72% of the commercial office loans in D.C. are at risk of default. It's overwhelmingly the highest it's ever been in D.C. It's the highest of any city in the country. And when you look at that hybrid workforce, the ability to, to, to work from home and go in, D.C. is the outlier from any other city in the country, overwhelmingly so. And it's driven by the federal government being the largest employer. And we're not talking about folks coming in four or five days a week, maybe one or two days a week. And, and there has been traditionally last year some sufficient pushback to achieve that. First and foremost, from our perspective, it's, it's a productivity and efficiency uh, issue. We have found at local governments and state governments and private sector that that's just not sufficient, you know, one day a pay period or once a quarter to be the most efficient and productive. And so we want, obviously, our federal government to be as efficient and productive as it can. 30%, upwards of 30 to 40% of the federal government's eligible to retire today. So what do those transition plans look like? What is that mentoring looking like in the office, bringing on the new generation of, of civil servants? Secondary, there is a financial impact to this, and there's some irony in many of the federal agencies that are largely remote. The very thing that they work to achieve, whether it's housing and urban development, transit, education, because they're fully remote and because it's having such an economic impact on D.C., D.C.'s having a hard time investing in the very areas where those agencies are working. So, uh, um, you know, to have this number of vacancies, um, 72 percent of the the, the lease is at risk of default. And when GSA, General Service Administration, for every lease that comes up, they are dropping 30% of their square footage. So mm-hmm. Alexandria is a good example. It's not just in the D.C. When the Patent and Trade Office came up for renewal a couple months ago, one million square feet of office space was dropped. And so this is most acute in the district. You see they have a half-billion-dollar deficit uh, right now. 
um, but it will spread and it is spreading to the to the capital region. So the the CAOs are chief administrative officers. Those are the folks running counties and cities in this region. Twenty four of them signed a letter last year to the Biden administration saying, look, we understand the new normal and we've got to have some flexibility, uh, but something that approximates a, a little bit better balance uh, would be good from an efficiency and effectiveness standpoint, but my goodness, also from an impact to the district. And we liken it to uh, the Base Realignment and Closure Commission. When the defense facility shuts down in a community in this country, that community has years to advocate for itself. And if that base shuts down, the federal government provides professional consulting and money for that uh, community to adjust. This is 340,000 individuals. So some of these bases are only 1,000. This is like 340 BRACs overnight for the district. And folks talk about reinventing the city and how do we reinvent you know, urban spaces. When you, when you control 30 to 40% of the property in a city, it's awfully hard to reinvent yourself. So it sounds to me that now, from your perspective as somebody who rallies and is working with government, that first of all, there's an efficiency issue to be had here to be addressed by getting people back in the office. Second, when you put your economic development hat on, you can't have a successful region if the center of the donut is, is rotting. Uh, and, and third is, it just sounds like it's just a function of equity. From the standpoint of the government closes a base, it worries about cleaning up the economy and, and helping it emerge, but yet somehow there's no consideration being given to D.C. as if because if this was a 340,000 person base, <laughs> there'd be there'd be warnings to be worked on. Is that is that what you're well, getting at? Well, uh, you're right on all three points. And I think that there's been some folks in Congress that have made this point that if we're going to – and I think the Biden administration is doing a better job of, of finding that balance. And that's really all we're looking for is a better balance. But fundamentally, if there's excess property, uh, which I think folks recognize that there is, and there's been some studies done on the Hill that show there's a lot of excess property – Let's start thinking about how we can get that in the hand of the district or in developers in this region to reimagine those spaces. Um, so, and, yeah, and, I mean, not, it's, and not because yeah. it's a give giveaway or a give back or a bailout for the landlords, but because it's just plain and simple good economic development for the broad benefit of everybody in the region. Well, and, and to your point, it's it's the district is kind of our anchor for this whole region, mm. and to the extent that it's not doing well, um, it, that that's going to have a domino effect, and. It, the district's in a tough spot right now. So, I mean, we call on the Biden administration, we call on Congress and the federal agencies to find a better balance, work with the district. If we sat down collaboratively and said, you know, what are 10 to 15 things that we could do looking at Union Station, looking at RFK, looking at, you know, Metro. So, you know, we do a lot of work with Metro and the transit system. Traditionally, 30 to 40 percent of the riders on Metro are federal workers. Yeah. Now, the, the feds kick in a little bit on, on capital money for Metro, the ability to build things, maintain things. But they don't kick in directly for operations. And those Metro Pass cards that, that federal employees have, that money only goes to Metro once it's swiped at the turnstile. So a lot less folks are swiping right now, but yet we've, you know, we don't have a Pentagon that operates without Metro. We don't have a Congress that operates. Uh, the last First Amendment rally on the mall had half a million people show up. We don't inaugurate presidents without a Metro system. So there is a role for the federal government to play investing directly in the in the operations of our metro system here, which is unique to any other transit system in the country. So there's things that the feds, I think, can do to recognize that they can be a stronger partner to the district and region. Fair enough. Now, let's turn our attention a bit to economic development from a standpoint of how to have the various trade groups and organizations around the region work together better. You know, you, you had the experience for 12 years of driving economic development uh, 
in part as part of teams with the single state. You know, how is it different and and how can well, frankly, how can our listeners help you and, and what can we be doing? Because clearly we need to market the region as a region and we need to be making better decisions about how to grow as a region. It's a good question. We have a lot of groups that are doing phenomenal work. Uh, the Greater Washington Board of Trade, uh, the Greater Washington Partnership are, are two that we do a lot of work with. There's respective chambers of commerces uh, throughout the region. Um, but having kind of a counterpart to the Council of Governments that is truly looking at economic development across state and local boundaries. And that's an issue because mm -hmm. to economic developers, it's a zero-sum game to recruit and retain businesses um, within their respective boundaries. But how do we look, and, and, and part of this is workforce development, which we talk a lot of, uh, about. Maryland looks at it from a state and D.C. from the district and Virginia as a, as a state, but you have a child in Alexandria that wants to get a health or hospital-related degree well, Montgomery College has the only hospital that's co-located in a community college in the country. So what about in-state tuition for someone that lives in this region? Mm. If you live in the district and want to get a cyber degree, Northern Virginia Community College, we should be lining up our skills and talents and people from a DMV region as opposed to just looking at our respective state and city boundaries. Um, and then kind of how we sell the region. It's almost a tourism authority for the region. And certainly talking to the Terry Clowers and, and the, the Board of Trade and Partnerships about you know us pooling our resources together and selling this region and you know cog can get can lean in much more when we're selling this region and attracting people to come here then it's additive you know hq2 was truly additive to this region because it didn't exist so we could sell the region and let our respective cities and counties compete for it right and right now we see some folks moving within the dmv footprint and that's like not and that's not additive to the region yeah i think that's right so I'll tell you, my, my conclusion, having been at this for a while, is that, number one, the regions we're competing with around the country that are most successful have generally one dominant trade group, one business group that speaks for the region. Uh, and that's the first thing. And second thing, if I look at the history of this region, whenever there's been a, a, a need for tectonic change, it's been driven by the business community. And uh, I'm really hoping that, that the business community, the entrepreneurs, the people who have made their way here step up. Because it seems to me that this, they need to step up right now. Otherwise, we're going to be Detroit without the charm. <laughs> and uh, I don't really want that. No, I agree. And I think, you know, facilitating bringing these groups together and identifying what home runs or moonshots we can go after as a region, who's applying for them, who's going to be the lead. That could change from one year to you know, one year to the next. But having a table where folks can come together and have those discussions and recognizing, Jonathan, that, hey, Okay, Northern Virginia is strong on X, Y, and Z issues. Suburban Maryland is it has a strength here. DC has a strength there. That doesn't mean we're not going to compete against each other and and try to attract businesses where another area might have a strength. But recognizing, you know, NIH is internationally known. I right. mean, that biosciences. I mean, that's that's something we all need to be selling because when a major player comes and and locates near NIH, that helps everybody. Just like when a cyber defense firm might come and. And go out the you know the Dulles area that helps everyone. So we need to be more supportive and uh, of this entire region. And then obviously we can't be naive. Our our local governments and cities and counties are going to compete for jobs once there's an opportunity. Well, here we have an example of a local boy made good. He, he went away, went off, went off and helped change the world. And he's come back to change it here. Clark Mercer, it's always great to see you and uh, watch your career with great interest. You've made tremendous progress, and I'm glad you decided to focus your your energy on such an important project. So thanks for joining us today. 
Well, thank you. It's an incredible region, and it's uh, got a bright future. You know that we care a lot about what the future of the region is going to hold, and Clark Mercer gave us some very good insights into how the Council of Governments is thinking about these issues. What I want you to think about is what can you as a citizen do to actually engage? Nobody's going to be able to solve all the issues that we face. Pick one. You know, if you're an entrepreneur, get in touch with me. Get in touch with somebody who's interested in innovation. If you're interested and concerned about affordable housing, well, we'll bring people on the show that have that expertise. You know where to find them. In other words, this is a time more than ever where disablement is only going to result in outcomes that none of us are going to be happy about. in touch with some of the best voices in the Washington, D.C. region. We've been hearing from you and speaking to the people you want to hear from. That's what What's Working in Washington is about. We talk to the power players about innovation in the federal government and how business in the region is keeping us competitive. But more and more, we talk about the hard questions and look for the real answers that will drive the region and our nation forward. If you know someone we should be talking to on our show, do let us know. We look to shine a spotlight on people who are really getting things done in the region. So please keep those ideas coming. And thanks to all of you who stay in touch with us. What's working in Washington? That's a question we often hear. The reality is Washington works every day at looking at the issues that have to be addressed, solving problems when we can, but more than anything, the crossroads for where change will occur and needs to occur. This show, What's Working in Washington, brings voices into the studio so you can hear from them what they want to do and how they want to contribute to this great enterprise we call the United States of America. What's Working in Washington is a team effort. Our executive producer and editor is Tracy Madigan. Our assistant producer is Anna DeGraff. The theme music you've been listening to is performed by the Sunbathers. And thanks to all of you for joining us on What's Working in Washington. You've been listening to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast.